I am continuing my series on Follow Me today, and uh, I titled this sermon brilliantly. It is called Control Freaks, The Consequences, and a Call to Action. Control Freaks. Do I have any control freaks in the house today? Yes. Okay, all of the honest and self-aware people said amen. Now, the people that don't yet know, will your spouses please raise your hand for the spouse? Kidding, kidding. I just read a book that I just want to promote. Um, I wish I'd written it. You ever read something and you're like, man, I could have, if, if only. <laughs> I could have written this, um, but I didn't. It's a brilliant book, The Control Freak by Dr. Les Perot. Um, I got it, actually. It was, it was just a couple years ago, like 2000, uh, so two decades ago. Um, and I got it at half price books for $3 and a quarter. So I don't know where you may find it, um, but I would really recommend, if, you're, if you like this sermon, when you like this sermon at the end of today and you want more information, get this book. Now, I'm not actually using any of the book for my sermon today. However, it is in my spirit, and it's awesome. I really just recommend it. Control Freak, it's, it's great. I would give this away, but I'm, I still love it too much. Um, let me read it a couple more times, and then I'll, I'll give it away. What do these two things have in common? This is a remote control. Yes, and this is a steering wheel, a steering wheel. If you could just imagine with me for a moment that this is a legit steering wheel because I didn't want to buy a steering wheel for this 20-minute illustration, so I'm using this steering wheel that I spent already a lot of money for <laughs> that is not being taken care of. Um, this steering wheel... Is, is something that I want to talk about, and this is something I want to talk about. What does a remote control and a steering wheel have in common? I'll tell you. I'll make it easy for you. These things provide a very simple, fundamental, basic test on whether you are a control freak or not. That's right. Let's start with the remote control test. The remote control test... When watching TV in your home, does everyone know who the remote belongs to? <laughs> I don't know if the laughter is like, oh, that's me, or ha, 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 ha. If everyone knows that you own the remote, you may have control issues. You may be a control freak. But I wonder how many of us would love the opportunity in life to remotely control everything around us. Your behavior, your behavior, your church attendance, your giving. <laughs> Too far? 
the kids doing dishes, the spouse getting home from work on time, the, the whatever, whatever, the boss finally letting the promotion come through or the raise come through. Wouldn't it be grand if life could be held in the hand and simply using the buttons on the remote, we could make things happen. You might be a control freak if that sounds good to you. But let's talk about the steering wheel because the steering wheel is, is another example of you might be a control freak. Now, if you like to drive your car and if anyone is in the driver's seat and they are driving and you are hyperventilating or you are having to pop something so that you don't go into a full-blown panic attack... Do you know what I mean? We call them backseat drivers. That's not what my wife calls me anymore. Back in the day, it was the backseat driver. Now it's, Trace, shut up. <laughs> hey, I will be the first to admit, I am a horrible backseat driver. I am. I am. Several years ago, our first trip to Australia, I left my license in the States which meant that I could not drive the rental car in Australia. So who had to drive? My wife. Now, my wife, she's a fantastic driver, as long as I'm not in the car. <laughs> but when I'm in the car, all of a sudden, oh, man, I am getting right with Jesus. And on some days, I'm even praying in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> we were in Australia, and here is my wife, who is driving, and I'm not driving. And I'm sitting in the driver's seat, right? Because in Australia, the cars are different. Somebody thought that'd be a great idea. Let's put the driver in the right side and the passenger in the left side. Oh, and let's throw in, you're not driving on the wrong side of the road. Welcome to Australia. And so I'm sitting there and my wife is driving. She's getting used to it. And she's turning on the windshield wipers every time she wants to go left. And Every time I'm afraid of something, I'm hitting the floorboard as if I have access to the brake because I'm sitting in the driver's seat without the controls. If you are like me, you might have control issues. If only I could, I could steer my life a certain direction. If only I could, I could steer my career a certain direction. If only I could steer my children the way I want them to go. If only I could steer you where I think you should go. If only I could steer clear of pain, trouble, depression, loss. You know, those, those moments when we've really got to believe God for something huge. Wouldn't it be easier if I could just take the scenic route? Control issues. I, I have to be honest with you. I have control issues, and I'm not a, ashamed to say it because I really need to let you know something. You have control issues too. Everyone in this room has control issues. Every single one of us struggles with control. Now, some of you may be saying, hey, pastor, control freak, come on. I can't relate to that. Okay, maybe you can't right now. Give me 15 minutes. 
I've come up with about eight different types of control freaks. And maybe, just maybe, you will see yourself in one of these types of control freaks. I know that I see myself in at least one, two, three, eight of them. You'll see yourself too if you're honest enough and you're willing to look inside and, and, and really do the heart surgery that needs to happen in this short time that we have together. Now, I know every single one of us will be able to identify our family members that have these issues. We will know the issues that our boss has. We will know the issues that our husband has. We will know the issues that our kids have. We will see it in everyone else. And I'm not suggesting that you ignore that. Maybe that is healthy, that we can identify issues where they are present, whether in us or in someone else. But I'm saying let's push all of that off the table today and let's focus on us. Let's just, let's just see if we can see ourselves in these types of control freaks. Number one, the intimidator. The intimidator. They try to control through intimidation. They use threats. They use constant demands, angry outbursts in order to control others. Now, on the outside, the intimidator, oh, he or she looks strong. They look like they've got it all together. But don't let the facade fool you. The intimidator is the most insecure one of them all. You're not doing what they want, they'll talk over you. You're not responding the way they want, they'll interrupt you. They won't let you talk. They won't listen to your ideas. They'll have all the solutions before you ever have a chance to say the problem. They are the intimidator. And if only you do it my way, that's what they say. It's easy to see the intimidator. It's easy. But is it as easy to love them? Is it as easy to see that they are sick, that they are broken, that they are hurting? The intimidator is one control freak. How about another? The perfectionist. Are there any perfectionists in the room? A few. Some of you are like, I'm not a perfectionist. I'm a real perfection. <laughs> the perfectionist. They tried to gain some form of control in their life by trying to get everyone and everything around them to be just perfect. But the problem is they make everyone around them miserable because no one can live up to your expectation for them. I know life would be perfect if they just do everything you think they should do, if they act the way they, you think they should act and they say the things that you think they should say. Like, your life is perfect, isn't it? Your life is grand and wonderful. Everything would be perfect and grand if they just did what you said, the perfectionist. That's control. The third one is one of my favorite ones to say. It's the worry wart. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a worry wart. You have to say it with a little, you know, fantastical voice. Don't be a little worry wart. Don't be a worry wart. How many of you, instead of warriors, you're warriors? God, God called you to the battle, not the rattle. 
The worry wart, the worry wart. You try to gain control of your situation and your things because you think that worrying is actually doing something. Worrying is not doing anything. It will not change your situation. Just because you worry enough, it does not get God's attention. God isn't moved by your fear. He is moved by your faith. The worry wart. You're really just trying to control your circumstances by worrying. Uh, number four, I call this one the Uber planner. Not the Uber planner. You're not mapping out the, map, the, the driving routes of Uber. The Uber, the meticulous, the detailed planner. The Uber planner. You know those people who have to plan the party, no one else can do it. They have to plan the holiday, and if anyone else does it, I'm going to let you think you can do it. But when you do it, I'm going to talk about you, and I'm going to pick apart everything you did wrong because nobody can plan like me. The Uber planner is constantly trying to control circumstances and situations around them, and even in your best laid plans... Control falls short. The Uber planner. I probably fall into the next category pretty well. It's called the anti-planner. They look at the Uber planner and say, now you've got issues. You are a control freak. And we think that, we anti-planners think that because in reality, we avoid commitment. That's what anti-planning is. We're trying to control everything because we don't want the church service start time to control us. We don't want our work time to control us. We don't want the kids' schedule to control us. So we don't commit to things because, wait, serving once a month? You mean I might actually have to go to church once a month? That seems a bit extreme. I just like to go where the spirit moves. Hey, newsflash, he's moving here every Sunday. The anti-planner tries to control their outcome by simply thinking, it doesn't matter. What will be, will be, and they just go with the flow. How many of you are like me? You're the anti-planner. You're a control freak. Number six is the master manipulator. <sighs> I'm sure that we all know some master manipulators. This is one that we don't often know and see within ourselves. The difference with the master manipulator, though, you have to give this to them, is they're not in your face controlling. They're not like beating down your door, trying to make you do stuff. They're not screaming at you. That's the intimidator. The master manipulator is the one that tries to pull the strings in the background so that you don't even know that they're involved with doing God's will for your life, right? The master manipulator is, is constantly subtly planting seeds of doubt in this situation, uh, subtly criticizing things over here in, in a godly way, spreading gossip over here. It would be great if pastor did this. It would be great if the kids did this. The master manipulator really believes that they need to be in control of every detail. Which leads me to number seven, the micromaniac. 
Micromaniac is the person with 1,000 hands standing before 1,000 jars. And they need every hand to be in every jar. And I must confess to you today that I lean into this on some days because I think that I'm good at a lot of things. I think, yeah, I'll do it myself. Why? It would take me more time to train someone than just do it myself. And I know what I like. I know what I want. I'll just do it. I am a, a micromaniac. I get my hands here, there, everywhere. I become an artist of the world. My fingerprint is on everything. Because I need control. I need to make sure that it's done right. I need to, I need to make sure that it's got my stamp of approval. I, I am a control freak. And my final one, number eight, the opinionator. The opinionator. This person has an opinion for everything, everything, every subject. They have had every illness. They have broken every bone. They have given birth to every gender. They have done it all. Done it all. Done it all. Been to every deserted island and found a way off. Been to every, every third world country and made them first world. They have done it all. They have dug wells in Africa. They have fed hungry people all across the USA. They even invented the internet. <laughs> invented. They've done it all. They have an opinion. Opinion. Not just an opinion about their life. <laughs> no. That would just be too simple. They have an opinion about you and everything. They have an opinion about what you're wearing. They have an opinion about what you're thinking. Yes, they even know what you're thinking. The opinionator. The best of all, though, their opinions that they give to you, they're free. They don't charge. They're free. Yeah. The opinionator, they, they really just want control. And every time you say yes to their opinion, they win. Control freak. Jesus said that letting go was a process. Letting go of control is a process that you and I have the honor of going through. And there's a story in scripture where he took his disciples through that process of letting go. And I want to share that with you today. Will you stand with me as we read Luke chapter 5 verses 4 through 11? Do we happen to have verses prior to four? No. Yes, we do. You're great. Uh, is so it was. I sew it. Oh, okay. I'm like, I don't know that version. Hey, I'm dyslexic too. Cut me some slack. One, so it was. As the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake and saw two boats standing by the lake, pressed to hear him, hear the word of God, he stood by the lake and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. So Jesus shows up, he sees two boats, and the fishermen were washing 
their nets. Verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. I want to back up to three. Okay, verse 1, Jesus is standing by the lake. The crowd is around him. He's li- they're listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were what? Washing their nets. Good, good. And then verse 3, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Jesus sees the boat. He gets in the boat and he teaches from the boat because he's, t- he's talking to the masses and he knows that if he gets out in the water, that his voice will carry on the water and be heard louder among the masses. And, and so he talks. And then in verse four, it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish where they had taken where they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. You may be seated. This is a great example of two things. The consequences of control and then the process of letting go of control. I would submit and suggest to you that control has been around since the beginning of humanity. What happened in the Garden of Eden? It was a fight for control. What happened with Cain and Abel? It was a fight for control. What happened between Jesus and Satan? It was a fight for control. What happens between you and the enemy every single day of your life? It is a fight for control. A very wise man said to me once, Trey, every argument that ever happens on earth always funnels down to one thing, control. And if you really peel back the layers, whatever your problem is and your frustration and whatever the argument is, it is always about control. Someone is trying to control the situation so that they get their way, and someone else doesn't want it that way. It's always about control. I love, here we see this beautiful picture of guys who have been fishing all night. And the first consequence of control is frustration. Look at your neighbor and say, frustration. Oh, it is frustrating when you have to control so many things. You know what I mean? Like, you're the boss. Can't nobody do it like you. And it gets old quick. It's frustrating when the things you need to control won't be controlled by you. 
Peter says in verse 5, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Jesus tells him, hey, Peter, get out there, throw your nets to the other side. And, And Peter's response is, Master, we have worked hard all night and we've caught nothing. You can almost hear the frustration in that sentence, can't you? Washing the nets, they're done. We've caught nothing, like nothing. We're very frustrated. But the second thing is control leads to fatigue. I don't just get frustrated. I get tired. You ever thought to yourself, I'm just tired. Tired. Not physically tired, and maybe maybe. It's led there too, but like, my soul is weary. In the Greek, this word that Peter uses that he has worked all night, has worked hard, it's kopeo, which translated means wearied or fatigued. Jesus is sending him on a, a, a small mission. Jesus is actually trying to help Peter with his fishing business. Like he's trying to help him out. And Peter's response is, I'm tired. I'm wearied. I'm fatigued. But, but it's not only creating frustration in your world. It's not only creating fatigue in your world. It's creating one more thing. It's creating failure. The third consequence of control is failure. You are trying to control because you don't want to fail. Your motives are good. I get it. And I I get the saying of, well, God knows my heart. Yes, he does. But you can't tie his hands with everything you're doing and God still be able to come through for you because your heart is good. When we try to control everything, we fail. We get the results that only we can get. Peter didn't say, hey, Jesus, yeah, I'm tired. It's been a long night. We only caught three fish. He didn't even say three fish. How many of you have ever been fishing and three fish would have been a blessing? He didn't even say, I caught three fish. He didn't even say, I caught one perch. Zip. Nada. Like nothing. All night they have toiled and they have worked and they have, they have dredged the bottom of the sea trying to catch fish and they caught nothing. Their own attempts at control have failed. And do you know what that means? That means they're going home to a family without food to give and put on the table. They're going home without food to sell. Like, this is a big deal. How would you like to work for 12 hours at your job and not see a paycheck from it? Fatigue, frustration, and failure. So so those are the consequences of trying to stay in control But let's move on because I want to, all of you control freaks in the room, I want to send a call of action to us all. There is a process in this story of letting go. And I want us to go to the next level so that we can actually enter into a place where God can bless us and we can see rest and we can see increase in our life. The first thing that we have to do is give up control. Look at your neighbor and say, give it up. Look at your other neighbor and say, I already did. Did you? 
you have to give up control. In this passage, we see the process for letting go. And the first step is you have got to give up. Give up. Give up. You're holding on so hard because you think if you care enough, if you try enough, if you cry enough, if you pray enough, things will change. Why don't you just give up? I didn't say tap out. I didn't say give up. I said give up. But for many of us, that would be the end of the world. Because you have become more comfortable in your dysfunction than in stepping through the door to freedom. Peter, he was washing his nets. You know what that means? <laughs> it means he was done. Culturally, in that time, to wash your nets means I'm not going back out one more time. We're not hanging it up to dry. We're not sitting back with an umbrella and a sweet tea just to see if we feel like going out again. We're washing our nets because we are done. Some of you have been trying to change that person for so long. It is time to be done. It's not going to work. The results that you get will only be from your human effort. As long as you continue to hold on to it so tightly, it is time to give up. They were washing their nets, and Jesus shows up on the shore. Isn't it interesting to note that Jesus can't show up in your situation until you give up? After you give up control, you have to give over control. Driving. Many of you are like, I can't take my hand off the wheel. If I take my hand off the wheel, we're going to crash. No, you're not. Don't be dramatic. You let go, but you then have to give over control. Because God has the capacity and the ability to navigate your situation. There, there's a song, something popular about Jesus and a wheel. Yes, I'm, I'm not going to sing that. You're welcome. But maybe, maybe rather than just hit play on a radio station, we, we should actually live it out. There are many people I know that give up, but never give over. And as a result of giving up without giving over, they crash. You got to give up and then give over. Jesus said, hey, Peter, take your boat, push it out into the deep. I wonder what Peter thought. Peter was a fisherman by trade. He was a brilliant fisherman. He, he probably thought, all right, master. In fact, scripture says he called him master. And in the Greek, that means Peter had great respect for the level of authority of Jesus as teacher. So Peter went out on the lake and did what Jesus said because he respected 
the supernatural teaching ability of Jesus. He didn't respect Jesus as a fisherman. Hear me. He did what Jesus asked because there was something about Jesus that he respected. But inside, I wonder if Peter thought, you know all about this spiritual stuff, but I know about fish. Now listen, in that time, Peter understood that to catch fish at night, you had to fish in the shallows of the sea, not the deep. And Jesus was telling him to go to the deep in the heat of the day. It made no sense to a fisherman. But it, I understand you, Master. I, I respect you. I'm going to go out of my respect for you. He gave over control, meaning he was obedient to Jesus. Obedience is giving over control. So he gave over control. He was obedient. He went out. He caught the fish. It almost sank multiple ships. But then we see a very dramatic shift in the story. And it's step number three. Not only do you give up control, you give over control, you get under control. Then Peter falls at the feet of Jesus, and he no longer calls him master. He calls him Lord, which translates to owner. So he moves from a self-awareness, giving up. I can't do this. I'm done. I can't do this. Okay, God, you can do this. Your ability. I'm going to be obedient because your ability can do this. Giving, giving over to now being under control. It becomes relational. I'm doing this not just because I know that I can't. I'm surrendering not just because I know that you can. I'm surrendering because of who you are in my life. You can't control your life. I'm not talking about willpower. I'm talking about real power. I have tried to muster every drop of willpower in my own fleshly ability, fleshly ability to shift and change and dart and run and stop. And my willpower falls woefully short to that which is needed to transform my life. But it is in the moment of surrender where I don't just give up control, I don't give over control, I get under control. And the thing which I stand over then has permission to flow over me. And that's when you see rest. And that's when you see a faith that moves mountains because it's a faith that doesn't care if there is a mountain. I don't want to control my life. The fact is I can't even control my calories. Can't. Why would I want to take something which I cannot do? It's time for you and I to follow Jesus. And for that to happen, we have to give up control. Let us pray. God, I thank you 
just for the reality this morning that there are so many small steering wheels that are represented here today. We all have one large steering wheel called life. Many of us have given our hearts over to you and we, we have the assurance that for all of eternity, we will be connected to you. But the reality is we have many, many, many small steering wheels in our world. A steering wheel of finances, a steering wheel of emotions, a steering wheel uh, of relationships, a steering wheel for our career. So God, I ask that you would just shine a light in the areas of our heart, the wheels that we need to release to you. God, I thank you that it's not through human effort. It's not through what we can do on our own. It's simply releasing to you what you have already conquered. And God, you know what I love about you? I love that you run after the things that we hold on to the tightest. That addiction, that insecurity, that unforgiveness, that, that thing that we can't seem to let go of and we hold on to it. We hold on to it. God, you run after that because you know that the things we hold on to eventually hold on to us. So we say yes to you today, God. Holy Spirit, begin a work in us today. Let the process of letting go begin today. Let it be established in the spirit realm today so that we can give up, give over, and get under control. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys.